You're listening to Green Mountain Medicine, an original podcast series by ACP Vermont for all things internal medicine. I'm Sam. And I'm Anish. And we're your hosts. This series aims to unpack the complexity of medicine in a nuanced and evidence-based way. We invite you to relax, grab some coffee, and engage with us as we deconstruct the topics that impact our field and characterize our practice. Welcome to Green Mountain Medicine, Chiefs of Medicine. Can you just introduce yourself and say maybe where you're from, your hometown, your med school, and then maybe like your perfect golden weekend or favorite spot in Burlington? All right, so I'm Kevin Chin, uh, one of the chief residents. I kind of grew up all over, but I like to tell folks that I am from uh, Akron, Ohio and Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I went to undergrad, graduate at Vanderbilt University, uh, graduated with a degree in engineering, was never really pre-med and sort of came into this last minute. Did my graduate studies in medical school at the University of Toledo College of Medicine and Life Sciences in Toledo, Ohio, before coming to Vermont for a residency. Greatest spot in the area. I mean, I, I, I don't know if Matt's going to say the same thing, but I would say the waterfront. The waterfront is just a little... It makes it feel like you're in a city much bigger than what you mm-hmm. perceive Burlington to be in. And there's just so many things to do at all times around the year, whether it's during the summer when you see all the, all the dogs, you know, having a drink by foam, or, in the, or having all these various music festivals happening, where during the wintertime, you just see the frozen lake, you can walk over it, try not to fall in and have a good time. <laughs> it's pretty magical, huh? It is pretty magical. Are you a runner or a biker? I'm bike not. Trail person? Uh, I am not. Um, and Kevin and I are both huge foodies. I'm surprised he did not name a restaurant or two. That That is true. That is true. <laughs> or five. Or five. five. <laughs> or five. But uh, I, I would say that it's, uh, I'm not a runner per se, but I'm all about the views. The okay. views are gorgeous. Mm. And I like, I'd like to tell folks when they come to visit here, it's like living and living and working in a resort to a certain extent, mm-hmm. because people come here for vacations, whereas we work here, which is and live here, which is amazing. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, and I'm Matt Gervais. I'm originally from uh, Endicott, New York, which no one knows where it is. So it's like upstate central southern tier New York, like armpit of New York is what I describe mm-hmm. it as, where it kind of curves down to New York, to New York City. Um, so. Yeah, and then undergrad, I went to University of Notre Dame. Med school was uh, Penn State, and then uh, ended up here for residency and have been here ever since. And just got accepted for a fellowship in uh, palliative and hospice care here yesterday. Awesome. So, Woo-hoo! congratulations! That's Thank amazing. You. Wow. Thank yeah, you. but that was one of the things we wanted to ask. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then favorite spot in Burlington. I think my like ideal day is driving down to Shelburne and either mm-hmm. walking Shelburne Farms or doing like any hike down there and then driving back and on the way back getting Folinos and Fiddlehead. You know, you've like worked out for the day, you've like seen some beautiful views down at Shelburne Farms, done a couple hikes, you're tired, and then you just get like the cold beer and pizza and you're like, this is this is a this is a nice spot. That's the perfect Burlington day, I think. Do you have strong <laughs> opinions on Shelburne Felinos versus downtown Felinos? <sighs> I, I've only had downtown Felinos once, but I have to lean towards Shelburne Felinos. Oh, I think also, like, the atmosphere is just better. You don't like sitting in a parking lot, basically, outside? <laughs> <laughs> no. But it does have Little Gordo next door, which is oh. tough to beat. And honestly, sometimes all you just really need is some good food, good drink, and doesn't even matter where. So even if it's a parking lot, it's pretty good stuff. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> So I guess you kind of wanted to start by just asking you, what is a chief? You're like, what do you do as a chief? And kind of what surprised you about being a chief? So yeah, chief year is a combination of a lot of things. So um, we do like a fourth year chief. So both of us have graduated from internal medicine residency um, and could be working as attendings, but instead chose to kind of, 
I think of it as like serve the program. So we're basically in charge of a lot of the day-to-day operations within the residency. We run education, we run the resident schedules. We run a lot of kind of the more educational activities, including like grand rounds, mock codes, things like that. And so, and we're also kind of the connection between the residency itself and the, the, the residents and kind of administration. So we're kind of bridging that gap and trying to like help both sides talk to each other and find common ground or like bring concerns of the residents to administration. Uh, Kevin in particular sits on like a lot of the like committees within the hospital and so he gets to be kind of the resident's voice within those things. So all those are kind of our duties as as chief. And then it includes kind of the like the not on the job description duties such as kind of like maintaining morale within the residency, putting together like hangouts and like get togethers and that sort of thing, getting gift for the residents. It's fun stuff like that as well that we get to do. So yeah, uh, you know, it's one of the be- biggest benefits of the program is that as a chief, we, as Matt alluded to, we are not on the PGY scale. We are full, mm-hmm. we are attendings and chief resident. Um, so that affords us a certain amount of flexibility to focus on the educational pieces within the residency program. Uh, one thing I like, like to always say about the chief residency is that the folks that become chief residents, we essentially come in with this type of long, long-standing knowledge from the experience that we had during intern year, the experience that we heard about from prior third years when we were interns, and so essentially we carry that forward. I think six months into the job, we realized that there are 99 different ways of skinning a cat, um, and which is a lot of what being a chief and running a residency program is. There are abundance of ways of doing things but there are all always shortcomings within within that and being able to identify that uh it's great that we have dr mark passon as our program director who has been around for for a while it has a lot of great understanding yeah. of if how- i had a dollar for every time that mark was like oh yeah we did that like eight to ten years ago and like eventually the residents didn't like it so we went back to the system we have now and we're like oh that helps. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of there's a lot of you know repetition and things coming in waves and cycles and having someone that has been through that in Dr. Passon really helps us a lot. I think on daily basis our job changes from day to day. The weeks when we are on service as the attendings, those are pretty you know set in stone. Mm-hmm. We're doing only clinical medicine probably you know 90 percent of the time and there's 10 percent of the time where we're kind of tidying up things within within the program within our chief chief resident uh, description and then on the weeks when we're not in clinical service you know the day-to-day is very different you know one day could be for myself i could be spending two to three hours on microsoft teams or zoom doing various hospital operation committee meetings followed by you know our new educational session that we're leading and then in the afternoon we're working on emails working on long- longitudinal uh, plans that we have for the program and and projects that we have ongoing and then the following day could be you know Ben and I we uh, Ben Depot who's one of our other chief residents and I we do see patients in the clinic and we could be spending you know the morning doing that and then doing educational pieces at noon and then coming back and doing other things and then Kevin spends nine hours staring at a spreadsheet and falling asleep slowly and and being the and as Matt alluded to I'm the scheduling chief and and I you know I see everything in terms of matrices and excel sheets which is fine with my engineering background but um, there's always something constantly ongoing I think the one biggest difference and one thing that surprised us about the job is that the job doesn't always necessarily end when we, when we leave the mm. office because there's always ideas happening. So the three of us, we were close during, re- during residency, but now it's kind of like we're texting each other when we're not around each other yeah. because we either have things that we're thinking about where we're just kind of hanging out and just checking in on each other. So, there's a, so that part was kind of surprising. And at the same time, the amount of hours we spend 
probably does not is not as as intense mm-hmm. as it is during residency, but we probably spend relatively the same amount of same amount of hours that we do uh just think about what we want to do, what we want to improve, considering what the residents need needs are and their wants and making sure that sure that we're able to meet those needs. Yeah. I think kind of hand in hand in that is like how much power we have within like the residency scope. If tomorrow I wanted to do like an entire lecture on like the anatomy of, I don't know, toucans or something, I could do it. <laughs> Not that that'd be particularly useful to residents, but I could do it. Um, and so that gives a lot of flexibility in terms of actual projects that are useful for residents. And like, if we think, wow, like we've been having a lot of trouble with, you know, I don't know, having a lot of people complain about like EKGs and not knowing how to do them. We could make an EKG section, you know, next month uh, during a noon report to kind of help with that deficiency or that that need that the residents have identified. And so it's really nice to have that flexibility and that, mm-hmm. you know, being able to really tailor it to what we know is needed with the residency. Yeah. That's awesome. I like the idea of like serving the residency program and kind of giving back with all of the knowledge you've yeah. amassed. And yeah, yeah, that's really cool. It's, I think... When we took on the roles, we all spoke with prior chief residents, and that's one of the biggest positives of our program is that we have a lot of former residents that are now fellows or attendings, and folks that are former chief residents that have stayed on as attendings or fellows, or have gone through the rigmarole of doing fellowship and now are attendings at our institution. Yeah. It's No one leaves Vermont when they, once they come here. <laughs> right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's one of those hidden secrets. You come here and you realize, oh, you know, why, why would I leave this, this institution where everything is so collegial? But that's one of the things that, you know, having that support, being able to talk with folks that have gone through in the years past and kind of knowing the little things of what was been trialed, trialed in the past and has failed um, gives us a good idea of how things work. And, and the thing is that dedication to the residents, at, at the end of the day, this career path that we're on and what it takes to get to the end of training is very taxing. It's something that I think the three of us very much believe that whatever we can do to make the schedule more more amenable, things more flexible, us being flexible with the residents, while keeping in mind, you know, of all the regulatory aspects from ACGME, anything that we can do to make the residents' life less stressful and allows them to accomplish things outside of the residency program, we do our best to kind of make that happen. That's great. I feel like you can really see that obviously we're only third year, so we're getting only a small slice of it, but it does seem like the residents here in internal medicine, but in other programs too, are very happy. It is kind of a place where people can have other hobbies, other interests, while also kind of dedicating a huge chunk of their life to their career, which feels pretty special. It's good to come up around that uh, environment. Definitely. Training in a place where it feels like family Mm -hmm. is, it's very important, especially when, um, our our lifestyles and the work life balance and that we try to achieve is can be difficult to do. Yeah. Do you guys have any particular like pet projects you've been trying to implement as chief residents, kind of to leave your mark on the program? Yeah. So I I think I think half of the pet projects are like things we know the residency needs that aren't particularly I guess passion projects for us. So like the big one for me is point of care ultrasound program. Um, it's something that's becoming very needed and wanted within internal medicine as part of your diagnostic and like therapeutic sort of workups and procedures and that sort of thing. Um, and it's something we've been kind of growing as time goes on, but really haven't made like a formalized, a formalized curriculum for. Um, and so I'm working with one of our new assistant program directors. Uh, and uh, former chief resident. And former chief resident, Tara Scribner, to kind of come up with a point of care ultrasound curriculum that's really going to make it a longitudinal thing from kind of, you know, when you join an intern year and kind of like have your orientation and understand procedures and basic ultrasound 
so that by the time you graduate at the end of three years, you feel like you can use it as a diagnostic and therapeutic tool. So and, al- and also be credentialed, essentially, mm-hmm. so that for the folks that are looking to not pursue fellowship out or after residency on their application, they can say that they're credential in point of care ultrasound. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's a big, big aspect of this because, you know, we don't want folks to go through the motions of doing something but not being able to be able to uh, receive the benefits of it from a professional standpoint. Yeah. And then we have a couple other curriculums that are kind of up and coming. Um, some were started by kind of chief residents prior to us, including like the um, diversity, equity, and inclusive inclusivity kind of program that's being headed by uh, Dr. Katie Menson, who's one of our, uh, another assistant program director, was started just last year and is also slow and growing and finding its place and getting a lot of resident feedback as to, there's so many ways to kind of talk about that space and learn about that space, but how do we make it both a learning experience for the residents and actionable and helpful to our community? And so that's that's another project. From my end, um, as someone that has an engineering background, things in terms of everything, in terms of processes, uh, is more so streamlining, streamlining the job as much as possible. Something that I've been passionate about uh, that I've done a lot in the past is is, is policy work, um, and you know we are in a we are fortunate to be in a state where we are the only internal medicine training program in the state. We have a very robust. Uh, 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 chapter for ACP as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a big avenue there of untapped potential where we can actually make a lot of impact at the state level and the local level in terms of how po- how health policy is uh, developed here. And that's an ongoing work um, that we're doing within the program. Um, I think we we as chiefs and and our and our program believe that we don't want to add an undue burden mm-hmm. onto uh, residents and, and their daily daily work. Um, so it's about uh, finding where we can integrate that piece into um, our existing curriculum. Something else I'm also focusing on is that um, obviously a lot of the things that we need to do within residency is, is focusing on wellness. Running a residency program does not come with no cost. Um, and something that I'm actively working with uh, with various organizations and within our foundation to create some sort of a alumni donation program where we can have alumni give back to the program as well. That's great. Um, the idea is to essentially use those funds for various um, uh, educational purposes. We currently sent on a yearly basis uh, one to two residents to Maine for one of the uh, a phys- for a physiology course that's run out of uh, Beth Israel and it's very well received and it would be great if we can ha- uh, offer more of those opportunities mm-hmm. to our residents. That's great. So we just heard from Matt that you just matched into fellowship, which is Correct. amazing. Congrats. Yep. Um, and I'm curious how your career goals, both of you have changed and morphed into something new, maybe throughout residency <laughs> and then up to here. Yeah, I guess I'll start. So yeah, just matched into hospice and palliative care medicine. This is our first year having that fellowship. Next year is the first year having that fellowship. I'll be one of the first two fellows here at UVM. I kind of have always known I wanted to do hospice and palliative care. I did a rotation in med school, really loved it. Did another rotation in fourth year for like an entire month and really loved it. And uh, just kind of everything I've gone through with residency has been kind of confirming that that's what I want to do. So mine was a pretty like straightforward path in that respect. And I think chief here kind of served in that goal is another big thing I always wanted to do is uh, education for med students, for residents, and wanted that to be a part of my career. Um, and so this was a great time to really like spend an entire year focusing on that and becoming the best kind of person I can be at that before kind of moving into fellowship and getting that specialized training so I can carry it into that. So yeah, super excited about that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, like I mentioned, you know, my, back, my background is in engineering. I've done finance in the past. I uh, came into medicine more so because I was unsure in terms of what I wanted to be as an adult, 
from a career standpoint. Kevin's uh, still not sure what he wants I'm, to be I'm as still, an adult. Yeah, like that's, I'm still not quite sure what I want to, want to be as an adult, you know. Um, with my prior experience in engineering and the experience I've, I've gained from public policy and health policy, I do see myself in some way utilizing those, uh, utilizing those skills. The, I guess the, the tough part is that I absolutely love clinical care. I mm-hmm. absolutely love patient care, taking care of folks in the, uh, in the hospital, both inside the hospital and in the clinic uh, setting as well, which I think is starting to become a less and less common thing where an internal medicine trained physician is doing both outpatient and inpatient work. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I love processes. I love the bigger picture. I, I know that I can affect clinical care and patient care at a, at a higher level mm-hmm. by, doing, by focusing on more operations. So for me, one of the biggest goals with uh, this year was, you know, as Matt alluded to, I, am, I sit on various hospital uh, operations committees currently, and I view this year as a way where not only am I able to do patient care and, and continue to improve my uh, skills in education, but also to see what it would be like to be a hospital administrator to a certain extent. Being able to, to sit in on these conversations that are made at the, at the highest of high levels um, and being able to uh, give some sort of input and insight from, you know, more or less the boots on the ground, the, the folks that are, are directly providing the patient care. You know, I think at this point in time, I'm still kind of up in the air, which is one of the, I think, niceties of doing internal medicine is that it affords us the, the ability to uh, pursue outside interests. Uh, while still having a very, very close relation to patient care. So I guess is TBD what things are going to yeah. be like for me uh, even in the next three to five years, but it's a, it's a journey that I'm really excited about, though. Yeah. That's great, and that's what's great about medicine and internal medicine specifically, as you said. Like there, We have a more linear path and then a more nonlinear path, and it's great to hear both things, kind yeah. of like anything's possible, and yeah. it is what you make of it, so... Kevin could still be end up being a rheumatologist. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, probably well, not. But who I mean, knows? I, I could, you know, I could always join the Ben Depot in the private care world. You know, yeah. down the road. But and, and honestly, that 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 was that was one of the biggest draws to medicine was that I I knew that service service was always a big thing for me growing up. Not something that was always necessarily emphasized, but it was always something that I gravitated towards. Um, so I think no matter where I where things take me over over my career. Uh, that's still going to be kind of a crux of my focus. That's great. So you mentioned that sometimes you're doing these kind of administrative roles, and then sometimes you guys are attendings. Where in the hospital are you normally working? I know, Kevin, you were interested in, like, on-cosplay stuff a little bit. Yeah. Do you still work on that? Yeah, or? so uh, across the three of us, we mainly are on the teaching services on the inpatient side. Uh, ben Depot has a uh, was a uh, primary care tracks uh, specific resident resident, so his future is going to be working in outpatient medicine. So he's been doing a lot more uh, clinic work, uh, working with uh, working as a preceptor, seeing patients on his own, uh, working with the residents during panel management. Um, for all three of us, we we are attendings on the general medicine services, which includes the oncology medical oncology service where we obviously are working with residents. I myself am interested in both, so I'm kind of, I still, you know, see a handful of patients in the clinic uh, of folks I, I, I met throughout residency, um, and then the other times I'm either working on the oncology service or the general medicine service, um, doing that. I think both of us prefer medical oncology to some extent over, like, just internal medicine plain, so 
Uh, we both end up on that service a lot. For yeah, me. I think, and for a little different reasons. Like, you know, Matt, 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 as a future hospice palliative care uh, a a physician, it, you know, the folks that we see on that service are typically are coming in for either side effects related to the chemo or uh, just new general diagnosis new diagnosis, cancer. progression of the cancer. So for Matt, you know, that's a great, great feel. For me, you know, I have a before Mesco and everything else, I had a big focus on cancer research on the basic science side. And, you know, I've always considered finding ways to integrating that, whether that's even, you know, down the road pursuing an oncology fellowship or even a pulmonology critical care fellowship where I focus on lung cancer. Um, that's all kind of within that, uh, that wheelhouse. Um, and I think we enjoy being on the on-cost because a lot of the things are so cutting edge from a clinical care standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing, you know, the unfortunate side effects occasionally related to immunotherapy, counseling mm-hmm. these folks on the pro- progression of disease in, in conjunction with the primary oncologist. Um, there's there's a lot of moving parts that I think we both enjoy. Um, it's a lot of problem solving, which is really great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I think like this idea of the role of an onc hospitalist is kind of a new thing that I had never really heard about before. Um, what is between an onc hospitalist and like an oncologist mm-hmm. in terms of their roles? Yeah. yeah, I would say the hospital medicine model is something that uh, the hospital's model was coined by, uh, I believe, uh, Bob Watcher out in San Francisco in the, in the early 90s. And the idea is that you have these set of physicians that mainly focus on hospital medicine, mainly focusing on the care of the patient on the inpatient side. As the business of medicine and the uh, various non-clinical requirements of, of patient care is ever-evolving and the demands of how outpatient care is done, uh, nowadays you're seeing these models where there is a specific individual that takes care of a patient on the inpatient side and they work in collaboration with their primary oncologist on the outpatient side. So, and I think it stems from a, so much, as, as Kevin alluded to, so much of oncology is like new. There's been so many like new therapies over the course, you know, the course of the past couple of years, so many like changes into the, you know, regular chemotherapy regimens, pathway of doing things with oncology that those, those physicians really have to subspecialize. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, while they have all gone through an internal medicine residency that may have been, you know, 10, 20 years ago, and they've spent all their time kind of specializing in learning their field of oncology. And so, you know, a person coming in for pneumonia who has lung cancer is really like a pneumonia with kind of some specialized considerations. And so, you know, an oncology hospitalist is really the best equipped to deal with, you know, the care of a person with pneumonia in consultation with their mm-hmm. oncologist who knows chemotherapy regimens and how this affects their care. And so it's just kind of a, a knowledge base in a more collaborative sort of like hospitalist field. And so, you know, as you guys mentioned before, you're kind of like doing this chief year in a way to kind of give back to the program. You know, in your opinion, what kind of sets UVM IM apart from other medicine programs across the country? I feel like we're gonna put on the recruiting half of last year. Now, right? yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, so many things. Um, I think I think the biggest thing, and I think we probably said this at nauseum, and it always sounds like a catch line, but like you know, I think the biggest thing is the people. I love all of our residents. They're all friendly people. They all like get together outside of the hospital on the ward. They're supporting each other. Um, you know, delivering great clinical care together, and like as a as a whole group, and asking each other for help. And it's just like a great place to be a part of and feeling to be a part of. And so in the hospital, you're kind of supported and you're like working with your with your good friends. And then outside of the hospital, you just have the city of Burlington and the state of Vermont, which are both incredible places to like live, eat, be entertained, and like have fun outdoors. And so, I don't know, what could be wrong with any of that? <laughs> you know, I, I, think, I think my answer 
is different, definitely a little different now compared to, uh, compared to intern year, uh, having gone through three years being here. I think one of the things that set us apart, like Matt you know, already said, it, is the people. Um, and I think that becomes more and more important as you go through training, is that we work hours and mm-hmm. you want to be able to work in an environment where you feel well supported, you feel like the job doesn't feel like a job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of my mentors have always said, once your work feels like a job, you know that it's not right for you because you don't want it to feel like a burden on yourself. You want to enjoy the time. I would say when I was, you know, four years ago when I was, when I was looking at programs, I knew exactly what general ideas what I was looking for. I wanted a university academic program. I knew that mainly because I knew that I had a consideration of doing fellowship. Um, I knew that I needed to go somewhere where that program uh, and that institution offer fellowships I was interested mm-hmm. in in case that, you know, I want to stay in the region to subspecialize. I also knew that I needed somewhere where I get really, really good training, really, really good mentorship. And this this institution has that, you know, we are a university academic, academic program. Our department of medicine is very robust in terms of, uh, in ter- terms of uh, research funding. Um, so right off the bat, I knew that checked off a lot of boxes. And then Coming here for my interview and meeting with everyone, you know, having lived in Canada before and everything else, I was just like, everyone's just very, very nice, <laughs> which was re- which is a really, really big thing was that no one really came off, you know, like they were faking uh, how they were feeling. You know, everyone was genuinely nice. Everyone genuinely wanted to know where you were from, what you were doing. And then over the, over the intervening three years, working with the various faculties and fellows, it's like one of the faculty you haven't worked with were constantly on from intern year when they see you as a third year ward now as a chief when we're attending. So like, oh my goodness, <laughs> you're, you're the list of attending now, you know, and you start, you know, talking with them and finding out how, how they're doing, how their family are doing, you know, their, their, their little, their little one that's no longer little after three years, you know, hear about that. It makes the job so much more human um, and it's those little moments that, you know, on a bad day or, or a tough day because of, you know, you're on X number of days in a row and it's super busy, you have very, very sick patients. Just having that human interaction was really, really nice. And those were the days, those were the things that kind of get, kept me going over the last few years, especially during COVID. Yeah. You're no longer con- consulting faceless GI doctor like B. <laughs> you're consulting like, oh, like Edwin Gancheric, former chief resident and now GI fellow, like... You know, it's a lot more, it's not easier when you're just like calling your friends or calling people right. you know really well. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think one of the things that I know Dr. Parsons always tells us to applicants is that we're, we at UVM, we're very bad, bad about bragging about ourselves. All of our <laughs> folks are very, very humble. You would never know that the attending that you just shared an elevator with is a former president of their specialty society. Or so and so is you know the first person that discovered X thing that would des- that was described in literature thirty years ago, because these are normal people you see in the hallways on a daily basis, and so you never think of that. You talk about skiing or pizza or something with them, and then you're right, like, oh, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so it's it's the there's that collegiality where you know for me having grown growing up around academia most of my life. I haven't really come across this all that much, so I would say that is the that's the hidden gem of our institution and of our program is is the part that is intangible that you can't fully describe all that well unless you're in it to a certain extent 
That's a beautiful way of putting it. I was looking at a niche because when we took this podcast over, we it was during COVID still going on, but it was earlier on. We wanted to email. We wanted to talk to Tim Leahy, and so we just popped an email to him. And then when we were telling people we were interviewing him, they were like, "Well, he's like kind of a big deal." And I was like, "I didn't even consider that. I just emailed him, <laughs> and he came in on a Saturday. We just chatted. It was yep. great, and it was that's kind of what you're speaking to. I just didn't even feel uncomfortable, and he was like." yeah, let's do this. Let's chat to these, you know, yeah. third years who don't mean much, but it's great. <laughs> and and honestly, you know, if, when you're a resident here, when you're thinking about subspecialty and about fellowship and things like that, you know, I think we, we plenty of times we have a, for, we're developing a formalized mentorship program from both a research and from a, from a progression standpoint for career wise. But, you know, for the longest time, we've always operated on a open door, open email policy where it was, a common thing to just cold email the attending you consulted on a week ago because you're interested in possibly working with them on, on a QI project or a case report or a clinical research. It was just a normal thing to do because everyone's so friendly and a lot of attendings will say, just let me know if you're interested in doing something, just shoot me an email. That's not always the case at most places that are, that are university academic with the with the longstanding you know, connotation that there is this you know, silver ivory tower that folks sit high up on, you know, you don't get that feeling here, which is great. Yeah, that definitely trickles down to us too. So mm. thanks for helping create that before. <laughs> awesome. If you guys have anything else you want to say, but otherwise, thanks so much for taking the time. No, thank y'all. Uh, I think the last plug we'll, we'll say is that the, this this place, it's, to say it's magical, I think is both kind of cliche cheesy cheesy, (laughs) however you want to word it but it really is you know there aren't there aren't that many places where that you come to a university academic program and get the feel that everyone's so friendly it's a big happy family but just like any family we're a little dysfunctional (laughs) for the good and bad it might be the crazy uncle. We don't know. <laughs> well, we don't know. But, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I think we we all, at the end of the day, are working for the same two goals, which is, one, having great patient care, and two, having a really, really good time giving that patient care. And for those the folks that are listening, we hope that you guys, you know, if you're not applying this cycle, definitely take a look at us next cycle where the future cycles. Um, and, you know, feel free to reach out. And if you have any questions for us, we're happy to answer them. Awesome. Yeah, thank, thank you, you guys, guys so no, much. Thank not you. a problem. Thank you. That's it for today on Green Mountain Medicine. I'm Anish Single. And I'm Sam Schutz. And thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed our discussion, please don't forget to follow us on Twitter at ACP underscore Vermont for more podcast updates.